As you're being seated, let me invite you to take out your Bible and open it up or turn it on. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 1 today, Hebrews chapter 1, as we begin our Christmas series today. Uh, One of the big arguments on social media these days is when does the Christmas season officially begin? Has anybody had that argument in your house? Is it the first time you wear a plaid shirt from the back of the closet? Is that when Christmas season begins? Uh, My daughter, Karis, back there, who's celebrating her 15th birthday today. Everybody say happy birthday, Karis. Yeah, yeah. Ah, the joys of being a pastor's kid. A lifetime of therapy to follow. But anyway, (laughs) I'm a pastor's kid, you know, so... Sometimes it's embarrassing. Anyway, so she says, so there's this church that we pass by, Faith Baptist Church, all the time on the way to here, and they put out this huge wreath every Christmas season. And so she's seen that since she was a little bitty girl. The other day we passed by it. She goes, hey, look, the wreath is up. That means Christmas has officially begun. For some of us, the Christmas season begins when Black Friday comes or Cyber Monday, or by the time it gets to the Wednesday, it's like, please, just buy something already Wednesday, right? You know, it just keeps on stalking you over and over and over again. You talk about it, and then magically it appears on your computer screen, right? So uh, I'm going to settle the question once and for all. When does the Christmas season begin? It begins, theologically, on Advent Sunday, which means it began last Sunday. The uh, word Advent is part of the Christian calendar. It's a Latin word. Uh, it means Adventus. It talks about to come. translates into English as to come. And within the Christian calendar, it represents the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. So if you want to be technical about it, right now we are in the Advent season And then on Christmas Sunday, which I love Christmas Sunday, that sounds so cool, we'll celebrate Christmas. And during the Advent season, Christians uh, are encouraged to wait, pray, and even fast for the coming of the Lord. And throughout history, throughout church history, there have been four themes that guide our devotions and our prayers during the Advent season. Hope love, joy, and peace. So in biblical times, whenever they would wait for the advent or wait for the coming, they were waiting for the Messiah to come, the Son of Man who would come, take on flesh, and would heal the heart. So they were waiting for the birth of Jesus. Today, as we wait, we remember that Christ came, and that also propels us forward to remember that He's coming again. So as Christians celebrate Advent today, we look back and we remember His coming, and it also causes us to look forward to celebrate the fact that He will come again. And when Christ comes again, it will not be as the innocent baby of Bethlehem, but when he comes again, it will be as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
And so today, we launched this new series that I'm calling The Star, and we're going to look at some passages that deal with light and how light is a part of the Christmas story. And as we talk about who is the star of Christmas, what should the answer be? Jesus. Yeah, that was good. You got that one right. Way to go. So something we should remember, Christmas is a Christian holiday. It is a distinct, distinctly Christian holiday, and it celebrates the incarnation of Jesus. It celebrates our belief that the Son of God took on flesh, lived among us, lived a life that none of us could live so that he might die for our sins, overcome death, so that any who believe in him shall have everlasting life and experience the grace of God through Christ. And so Christmas is inherently a Christian holiday. So the question comes up sometimes, Pastor, can we put up a tree or can we hang lights? Yes, you can put up a tree, you can hang lights, you can spend time with family, you can give presents, you can watch the clean version of Die Hard, right? Is that a Christmas movie? Yes? How many say yes? Okay, how many say no? All right, it's 50-50 still, and I think it's going to be 50-50 until one day someone settles it. But just remember this, those things aren't really Christmas. The star of Christmas is the Alpha and Omega. The star of Christmas is the beloved son. It's the cornerstone. It's the deliverer. The star of Christmas is the one who has been faithful. It is our great high priest. I'm talking about Emmanuel. I am talking about the indescribable gift. I am talking about that gift of grace that comes from the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. He is the Lamb of God. He is the light of the world. He is our mediator. He is our Messiah. He is our peace, our Redeemer, our Rock, our Savior. Do you know the star of Christmas? I hope you know him. He's the Son of Man. He is the way. He is the Word. He is the vine. And we call him Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The star of Christmas is more than the generous spirit of Saint Nick. It's more than the childlike wonderment of Buddy the Elf. The star of Christmas is Jesus Christ. And Jesus is what gives definition to Christmas. He's what it's all about. He's the star. You take Christ out of Christmas, you just have mus, right? We all have plenty of more. Christ. So today I want to look at four verses at the beginning of Hebrews. I'm planning on not speaking a long time. I know that always brings the joy of Christmas to your heart. But let's start with verse 1. Long ago, God spoke. I'm in chapter 1, verse 1. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. 
Now, the first thing I want you to realize is that God is not a lifeless statue. He is not some totem pole to which we bow down. God is alive. God speaks. Nor is God a mysterious force that Luke must follow or Agent Fury summons. God has made himself known. God has revealed himself to us. And so the writer of Hebrews explains this by saying, God has spoken. So if you go all the way back to the soil of Eden, you find that God speaks and the world comes into being. You find there in the early pages of Genesis that God speaks to Abram through an angel. You find God speaking to Joseph through his dreams. You find God speaking to Moses through the burning bush. You see God speaking to Israel through the law. And the law ultimately pointed to Jesus Christ, showing us that none of us could ever measure up to the standards and that we were desperately in need of the grace of God that would come through Jesus Christ. Esther heard the voice of God in the midst of adversity, and it led her to go before the king and to save her people from genocide. Ruth heard the voice of God in the clinches of grief, and she began a new life. Rahab heard the voice of rescue, and Mary heard the voice of God to the divine call of motherhood. Male and female, rich and poor, young and old, we can testify to this reality that God speaks. And much of human history is the story of those who listened to his voice and those who ran from his call. If you go back to the pages of the Old Testament, the Old Testament told us some things about the coming of Christ. Long ago, God spoke and he foretold of the fact that Christ would come. You go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3, and we see that through Abram, God was going to establish a nation, and God would bring a blessing to the world that would be to all the nations, that through Abram, he was going to work in such a way that all the nations would be blessed. Over in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, we learn that the virgin should conceive and that she should bring forth a child, and that child will be named Emmanuel, God with us, that the Son of God was going to come to us through the birth. In Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, we discover that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, that he would come out of the house and lineage of David. Over in Hosea chapter 11 and verse 1, we see that the child would flee to Egypt and that he would then come back to redeem his people from their sins. So all through the pages of the Old Testament, we see this aspect of God speaking. But then God's people went through a season of waiting. In between the Old Testament and the New Testament, you find God's people in this long season of waiting. How does it make you feel when you have to wait? You say, it feels just about how I feel right now, Pastor. <laughs> Some of y'all get that. How does it make you feel when you get put on hold? Thank you for calling your family physician. Your call is important to us, 
and so are you. We know that you're calling your doctor because you're probably very, very sick, but please hold and we'll be with you in the next 30 to 60 minutes, right? For centuries, the people of God felt like they were on hold, waiting for the birth of the Messiah to unfold just as God had foretold. Advent, the waiting, the season of waiting. Today, God's people find themselves in this season of waiting. Do the darknesses and injustices of this world ever bother you? Do you ever just wish that God would do something about it? Yeah, we're in the season of waiting. Verse 2 of Hebrews chapter 1 says, In these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, God has, by his Son, and God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. Now, it's important for you to realize something about the birth of Jesus Christ, and that is that Jesus didn't come into existence in Bethlehem. The Son of God has always existed, exists, and will always exist. In the Old Testament, the prophets were ambassadors. They spoke on behalf of the king. Same thing is true for angels. The angels are messengers of God. But then one day, everything changes. The king himself crosses the cosmos, takes on flesh. The heir of all things, the creator of the universe, spoke. He spoke through his words. He spoke through his actions. He came and he lived among us. You say, well, what did he say? Verse 3. The Son, talking about Jesus here, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of His nature, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. So the Son tells us, if you want to see God, look at me. The Son of God, Jesus, radiates the glory of God. Now get your mind around this. The Son, Jesus, doesn't merely reflect the image of God. The Son is the image of God. He is the exact expression of His nature. And so when Jesus comes and tabernacles among us or lives among us, the question, we have this question, well, what is God like? What does he want from me? Uh, what, how, how would he navigate life? In Jesus, it's like, this is it. You want to know how, how, what God is like? You, you want to know how Jesus would treat, you don't want to know how God treats people? You want to know how God loves? This is it. He, here he is. Even now, the scriptures teach us that the Son who created you, that the Son who was there before anything else was, the Son who has always been, holds you together by His Word. How powerful is the Son of God? By His power you were formed. Through His power you are sustained. And in His power you are redeemed. It was in this act of redemption that God 
spoke the loudest. Jesus, dying on the cross for our sins, the Bible says, makes purification for our sins. So this is huge because what this means is that we can be forgiven, that there doesn't have to be separation between us and God. You say, but Lash, I've done some things. Get in line, right? We've all done some things. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But those sins and those things that we've done wrong, they don't have to cause us to live in separation because Jesus intervened into our scenes so that we might be redeemed. And so the cross and the resurrection scream to us, this is God. I love you to the degree that I will take on flesh, take on your sin, so that you might be redeemed in Christ. Verse 4 says, So he became higher in rank than the angels, just as the name he inherited is superior to theirs. So we as believers, we do not worship angels, for they are the mere messengers of the Son. We as believers have no need to bow down before inanimate objects, statues created by human hands. Hear him now. You don't need to chase anyone else's life. There's no need to worship at the altars of power, fame, and fortune. Why? Because the Son has spoken, and you have all you will ever need. In Christ, you have forgiveness for your past, purpose for your present, and hope for your future. These words are more than just words that we hear. They are words that we take in, that transform us through the power of the Son, through the power of the Spirit. Our hearts are transformed so that our heart of stone becomes a heart of flesh and we live again. We have hope. Because God has spoken, we have the church and we have gathered to worship a living God. Whenever we gather for worship, I've, I've been thinking about this. All right, so gathering in this room for worship is an act of humility. I, I've sometimes realized that there, there's some people that kind of fly around the church, but they never actually, actually land in the worship room. To come into the worship room and to gather with the saints of God is an act of humility. It says, I'm part of this group. I'm part of this community. I am a fellow worshiper. And whenever we gather for worship, it's not about putting on a big show. It's about the people of God coming to listen to the Word of God, to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. We sing praises to God. Why, why do we sing in church? Do you know that music is the language of the soul? Music and the arts, music, poetry, those type of the arts, they are the language of the soul. They're a gift from God. And so we gather together to sing praises to Him. We give offerings because uh, we recognize that all things come from Him and through Him and belong to Him. And so when we give offerings, it's, it's not out of drudgery, it's out of joy, realizing that everything that I have comes from God. We bow before God in prayer. 
bringing the tenderness of our hearts before Him. We listen to His voice. We study His Scriptures. We read the Bible. I know, novel idea in church. We read the Bible. And sometimes the Bible beats us up a little bit. Sometimes it comforts us. Sometimes it encourages us. But the Bible always strengthens us. We do not worship a lifeless God hiding behind the veil, contained to statues created by human hand. We worship a living God, and He desires to be known. He's alive for all to see. And the Holy One who created you sustains you. And during this Christmas season, He invites you to know Him, to love Him, to sit in His presence and enjoy His goodness. Would you guys be so kind as to uh, bow your heads and let's have a time of prayer. It might be that there's never been a moment in your life where you've really believed in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And I would like to invite you to make this your moment. I'm not asking you if you grew up in church or if your daddy served as a deacon or if your mom taught Sunday school or any of that stuff. I'm, I'm just asking you, has there ever been a time where you personally had your moment with God where you believed in Christ as Savior and Lord? That's the first step of Christianity. It's that step of faith, that step of surrender. And if there's never been that moment in your life, I invite you to make this it. You say, Lash, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Just open your heart before the Lord. Ask Him to save you. Isn't that beautiful? You're hearing a prayer of salvation right now. There might be others in the room that are praying that prayer of salvation quietly to yourself. But you're opening your heart to God. And you're asking Him to save you. There are many in this room that have gathered for worship today and you're really, really busy right now. There's a lot on your list. There's a lot going on in your world. And, and you're thinking about all the things that you have to do. But I want to help you to center everything and think about the star of Christmas, who is Jesus Christ. And think about Him. Father, we thank You that You do not leave us guessing as to Your nature, to Your purposes, Your way. That You have called us and revealed Yourself to us through Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we know who You are, and we know how we may know You, and we know how we may have forgiveness and new beginning in you. And Father, we thank you for that. And I ask for myself and for my family and for our church family that you'll help us not to get caught up in all the things that have to be done this year, this Christmas season, and all the places we're going and the, the decorations and the gifts and the parties that we miss what it's